Hello and welcome to Entrepreneurship Now, a London Business School podcast where we learn from entrepreneurs who have launched their own ventures and help to equip and inspire those who want to do the same. I'm Jane Kader, Executive Director of the Institute of Entrepreneurship and Private Capital at London Business School. As part of our Tell series, we recently hosted a fireside chat with Roger Wade, the founder and CEO of Box Park, London's award-winning food and retail revolution. Roger provided insight into his career and his motivations to become an entrepreneur. This podcast is a selection of the conversation. You can listen to it now. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to, to sort of sit here and, and pretend to you that I had this sort of inspirational upbringing and I did remarkably well at school and things like that. But I think myself, like many entrepreneurs, actually maybe didn't have the most secure beginning. And we were maybe driven by insecurity was our big driver. So in my own case, I was born to, I don't know how far to go back, but I was born to a a Malaysian father and an Irish mum. And she got pregnant with my sister. And she basically convinced my dad that it was her child and, uh, and it wasn't. And basically she had a very quick marriage and we went off to London. I was born, we went to Malaysia, we lived there in my early life. And then I came back from Malaysia literally with the clothes on my back. Wow. Because at the time in Malaysia, there was, um, the men would get custody of the children. Okay, it was an Islamic society. Not that my dad was Islamic, my dad was Chinese, Malay. And I sort of went from an upbringing of, you're wondering where I'm going with this, but we'll get there. (laughs) I went from an upbringing where in Malaysia, my family were a very wealthy family. We had a very big rubber plantation, uh, had, you know, servants, cleaners, X, Y, Z, to being in a council estate in London, literally with nothing. We couldn't even afford the plane ticket back. My mum wrapped me up as a baby at the age of eight and argued with the attendants that I was just had a, a growth disorder and I really was a baby, but I wasn't. I was seven or eight years old. So I, I, I sort of went from a, a really privileged upbringing to having nothing and I sort of stumbled through education. I went, through the, to, I went to the largest comprehensive school in London um, and I wanted to become a doctor. But after doing a week's voluntary work, I realised that medicine wasn't for me. I was wiping somebody's bottom, a geriatric's bottom, and he was sort of swearing abuse at me, and I was just like, forget this. So I just drifted through university, and I, I studied environmental science at university, and I did two terms on soil, okay. which if you're ever bored in class, just always remember... It's not as boring as a, as a soil class. And <laughs> six months of soil is, 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 is tough. Come on, don't come in. No, don't bite. Um, but I used to run clubs, okay? So I ran nightclubs, and I used to enjoy that. So half the time I wasn't at university. What I really enjoyed was running clubs. And um, after university, my first three jobs on the trot, I got the sack. Three months, three months, three months in advertising. The first one was at um, WCRS, next one was at Lohoud Spink, and then finally I was in Ogilvy, Mavers, in New York. That's a much longer story, but effectively got the sack. 
And I sort of came back to the UK and I just realised to myself, if I don't employ myself, no one else is going to employ me. And, and why did I get the sack? Because I always had a really inquisitive nature. So when they were looking for me in the advertising, in the media buying department, I would be in the creative department because I wanted to find out how everything works. And it was always really, really important to me. So after getting the sack three times, I started my first business. And the only thing I really liked and the only thing I really enjoyed was clothing. That's, you know, I really liked sort of dressing well. So I basically started importing American sportswear from New York. I then bumped into a couple of designers and we started, uh, I guess, Britain's first streetwear brand back in 1989, 1990. It was the summer of love. Kids were looking for a uniform of what to wear. For those of you that don't, you're too young to remember Summer of Love. This is the second Summer of Love. This was the one driven by lots of ecstasy. And they were, they were looking for clothing and we were providing them a uniform. And we started Box Fresh, our, our, our first brand, and we grew that brand over the next 20 years, but we'll go, we'll go into that later. And in 1992, I was lucky enough to be paid to go to London Business School. So I actually got a grant from my local council, Lewisham Council. To, 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 I, I went on the first entrepreneurs programme at London Business School in 1992, which I guess is now, back then it was almost like an executive programme with accountants and bankers, and it sort of morphed in between an executive MBA and more like the summer entrepreneurship school. I mean, the, the, the lessons I learned from Box Fresh was, firstly, I used to make a thousand products a year. So, I mean, designing a thousand products with a team is really hard. So what we would do is we'd go and shop shops in New York, uh, LA, we'd go to Tokyo, and then we'd come back to Hong Kong. We would, you know, give them the samples of the cloths that we like, we'd come back with design, it would send it off. But one of the things that that, that taught me, and I really encourage you to, to think about this, is to use your intuitive feeling. There was no computer says do this. There was no spreadsheet saying, this is what you've got to do. You know, it was, I had to trust my feeling. And that has stayed with me to this day. If I was to say something that maybe separates me from other entrepreneurs is I've got a great belief in my emotional intelligence. I'm not data driven. You know, data is just there to justify the decision. But if you're making something new, there is no data. I think Steve Jobs said, unless a focus group can predict the future, they're no good to me. Well, when you're making and designing clothing, that was the same you had to entrust your intuitive self. So that, that was one of the great lessons I learned at Box Fresh. The other lesson I learned at Box Fresh was it's not a good idea to set up a business to improve your ego. And unfortunately, that's why I set up that business. So I actually believe there's only three reasons to set up your business. And the one that you've got to be really worried about is your ego. And I did that in my first business. That's why it took me 15 years to sell it. Why? 
because a lot of entrepreneurs are driven by insecurity. That's why I started with that talk about, you know, my mum. It was insecurity. If you don't believe this, look at Elon Musk. Elon Musk was bullied at school. He had a, 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 a very, um, let's for want of a better word, dominant father, shall we say. Uh, and he's really driven by ego. I can see all the traits in him. Why did he buy Twitter? What a ridiculous decision. That was ego driven, that decision. If you look at people like uh, Steve Jobs, he was adopted, okay? Again, ego. He wanted to prove his worth. You look at Richard Branson, he had a criminal record. He was the poorest kid at Stowe, Univers Stowe, Stowe, Stowe School, a very expensive school. But he was really built by a need to be successful. Even Alan Sugar, he's not exactly the tallest guy in the room, you know. He's driven by a need to prove. So recognise that trait in you. If you are driven by ego, that's the worst reason to set up a business. The real reason we're there to set up a business is to make money, or I would argue, if you've got kids that want to inherit your business, a better reason is to actually hand over to your kids. Because in the end, that's the best way to create income. So the lessons I learned from BoxFresh was about um, being about the reason to be in business. Yeah. If you ever go on any journey, know the end. The very first question you should ask yourself is what is my end goal? What do I want to do? Do I want to sell this business? Do I want to hand this business over? Or do I need the self-esteem? Recognize that, because if you don't know your destination, you'll never reach it. So that's what I learned from BoxFresh. And the other thing, I learned as well, apart from the trusting your intuition, was somebody once said to me when I was younger, was be special to your customer. If you're not special to your customer, you won't exist. And they said this to me in 1992 at this business school. If you're not special to your customer, and here I am 31 years later, and it still resonates to me to this day. Understand what drives the psychology of a customer, Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, that your basic needs when you don't have a lot is shelter, food, security, but later your needs are the need to be special, to feel better than the next person. And if you don't believe that, why are you wearing the clothes that you're wearing that might be a bit more expensive? You, you have a need to stand out. So those are some of the early lessons that I learned from BoxFresh. I started being an entrepreneur in 1989, 1990. It, was, it wasn't trendy to do it. It certainly wasn't uh, you know, all of the VC funds and private equity funds in government loan schemes. Yeah. You know, I did it out of necessity, as you rightly said. I wouldn't, if I didn't employ myself, no one else would employ me. So, you know, it, was, it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't start the business, you know, out of you know, I, because I saw other entrepreneurs that were fantastic at doing that. I, I was just driven by need to do it. And it was really, really hard. But my first five years, I just went around in a big circle and ended up owing my parents their entire life savings. Yeah. 
But the thing that really changed for me was that the moment I really embraced that you've got to be special to your customer and trusting your feelings. It just had an amazing psychological effect to me. Imagine if you're selling garments, you're selling millions of garments and you suddenly realize people like your taste. That's the eureka moment. It's no different when somebody likes your product that you then believe in yourself. And once you believe in yourself, you've got this innate belief that whatever you do is right. You have to trust yourself. And that's why the great entrepreneurs that exist to this day, and notice I don't use the word leaders, entrepreneurs are the likes of Steve Jobs, are the likes of Elon Musk, the guys that are not frightened to challenge the status quo because they trust themselves so totally because they found that magic moment inside of them. And it wasn't, as I said before, computer says, do this. Yeah. I had two young children and for the first time ever in my 15 year entrepreneurial career, I was scared. I woke up in a, in a sweat. Yeah. I had two young children. I suddenly realized it wasn't about me. It was about those children. And that's the most scariest moment that you have as an entrepreneur, when you suddenly get worried of throwing the dice, remember that. I'm probably the best entrepreneur I've ever been right here at this moment because I've got more money than I can ever spend. And I don't say that in a big headed way, but I'm not scared of losing now. And that's like a great poker play. You're not scared of losing. So, you know, for, for me, I was driven by wanting to create financial security right. for my family. I, I didn't time it well. I sold it when the business was on the way down. That's another great lesson. Always sell on the way up. Always leave, you know, skin in the game. Don't squeeze every ounce out of it. You know, the next buyer wants to grow the business. So how's he going to grow the business if the business is declining? I basically went to retire at 40. It wasn't enough money. Uh, my wife said, if you don't get out of the house, I'm going to divorce you. <laughs> um, that's real. <laughs> And I said, all right, well, I'll just be a consultant. That's what everyone does when they, you know, make some money. And I, I, I knew, ev knew ev everyone in the fashion industry. Uh, I used to consult on licensing brands, selling brands. I'm a, a big lover of Steve Jobs. <laughs> Wasn't the best leader, was the best entrepreneur. Steve Jobs once said, you, you have to connect up the dots of your life. That's all I've ever done. I connected up my dots of my life and my dots of my life. And it was really weird. There was a psychological reason why I like containers. I always looked at being able to a container as a sign of success. One day I'll be able to fill a, a container full of clothes. So that was it. And I also had a love of industrial design. So there was a psychological attraction. And that happens sometimes. You know, when you, you, you say to somebody, oh, look for how many uh, green cars are on the motorway. And then they ask you how many red cars are on the motorway. And you don't remember. You go towards whatever you think. So whenever I was in Hong Kong, I used to look at containers and we ran Box Fresh. And basically, I just thought, well, if you can ship goods containers, why can't you have a shop out container? And I was really driven by industrial design language. So I, cr I created a, a Box Fresh shop out of container. And then I also had a friend in um, LA. We, we used to have run Box Fresh from California as well. And he had a retail development. And I thought, well, if he can have a retail development, I can. And just literally in the middle of the night, I just connected those two ideas up together. It was, well, it was three ideas. 
it, the, the, the most important idea was people wanted to still special, still be special. And that actually this idea that everyone wanted to buy their clothing from Amazon, that actually, because it was convenient, that made it better. I just never bought into that because I always put the emotional self before the data-driven self. I don't go to a shop with a spreadsheet or a computer. I go to a shop with my, with my heart, with my, my brain. And I choose through my heart. So I trust my heart. So basically, I believe that we wanted, I wanted to create a whole high street for independence. So I connected up those three ideas. A container shop. My mate owned a retail development in LA. How hard could it be? He had the same background as me. And I wanted to create a, a home for independent stores so people could feel special. They could touch and feel that fabric. And then we, we spent five years trying to make that business successful. We even invented revolutionary stuff like, at the very beginning, we were like one of the first retail developments to roll out Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi uh, data capture. We, we were on social media. We eventually even rolled out a black card where every single customer that came to Box Park, we rolled out a membership card, so we had the data in them. It was, was Box Park Shoreditch. Shoreditch. And it started off in retail, and the food was an afterthought. Yeah. Literally, I went, well, everyone else sticks food upstairs, I'll do that. Yeah. And I never forget when I first built it, somebody said to me, one of the, the, the retail director of Hammersons, which is a big retail development company, he said, well, what's your plan to run it? And I went, what are you talking about, plan to run it? It's like buy to let, you know, I'm just going to collect the rent. He was right. The hard work started when we built it. My naivety was my best thing. I literally didn't have a clue how to run it, but I learned the hard way. So after five years, we were still banging the head of retail. We came up with a revolutionary marketplace at the time to try and basically allow people to order online, in-store, mobile across the entire development, something that doesn't currently happen. And then I faced a massive crossroads, okay, which was, I mean, it was ridiculous. I got invited to join the advisory board of eBay. I didn't have a clue what I was talking about, honestly. I'm sitting there with John Donoghue. I remember turning up at Hard Rock in Las Vegas and they'd been preparing their speeches for three months. And I thought, oh, it's only going to be a few hundred. There was 5,000 people in this room. There was, there was, this, there was Bon Jovi was on the stage oh the night God. before. There was this big screen behind me, way bigger than that. There was a teleprompter. I used a teleprompter. And I, I literally, they thought I was some sort of technology genius. I wasn't. I just, we just dared to try something new. Yeah. And we faced this real crossroads of we could chase the dream of becoming a technology business and maybe become a billion pound business. Or we could just follow the path of least resistance. And for one of the first times in my life, I didn't let my ego do the talking. And I basically took the sensible route and I took the path of least resistance and I ditched the whole digital side, even after winning loads of awards of it. Yeah. And we, we pivoted the business from streetwear, from retailing to street food. We opened up Box Park Croydon, our first food, drink and event development. And then by accident, the, the bar operator pulled out. So I had to run the bar. And that was the best moment ever because what I then did was I was able to monetize my traffic. So in, in retail, there's only three things that matter. 
product. If you haven't got great product, you won't exist. You can have the best product in the world. If you don't get traffic to that product, it's pointless. Either online traffic or in-store traffic. There's no point having a store. You can be 50 meters off pitch, you might as well be 50 miles off pitch. You can be online, but no one's got visibility of you, it doesn't matter. But once you've got great product, once you create traffic, it's then about conversion, profitable sales. Not just conversion, not just sales. But what we do in business school is we, we focus on the business. We have the people that do the product are king. The people that create the marketing are king. They create traffic. And the people that do the business are on the same level. No better, no less. You know, but that doesn't work. In a lot of modern day organisation, it's the number cruncher that be at the top. No disrespect, number crunchers are two a penny. You know, guys like uh, Johnny Ives at Apple are a rare breed. You know, so I really encourage you to promote those guys or girls. They won't, your company won't exist without them. There was, there was loads of values. I mean, you know, just to finish off the story of Box Park, after in the next five years, we became the fastest growing business in the UK. Well, part of Fast Track 100, three years in a trot. Then there was COVID. And a, a week before COVID, I was meant to sell my company to LDC. I had to wait, Lloyd's Development Capital. For 12 months, I twiddled my thumbs at home, wondering if I was going to do the deal of my lifetime, the deal that would set my family up for life. And... Uh, luckily enough, we, we eventually did it and I exited the business. But w along the way, as part of that story, a big ch a change driver in our business was when I became a better leader. Yeah. I suddenly realised, and it's really obvious to, to all of you guys, but it wasn't ov obvious to me, that if I didn't start letting go of responsibility, I could never get my freedom. That actually by delegating, it gave me my freedom. So I saw a business coach about five years before my exit. I wrote, wrote out my North Star and I basically became a much better leader. I went on courses, went to Syed University or Syed Business School, did a leadership course and you know, had a lot of coaching. And then I, I sort of went from being the worst delegator to I delegated everything. And I really empowered my team. I, 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 I gave 10% of my shares away to my companies. To my, to my staff, so I really empowered them to start running the company. And then we just went on a fantastic journey. Without that empowerment, it wouldn't have happened. But at the same time, we had a real strong sense of direction. Yeah. So I think Alex Ferguson once famously said, you've got to make sure the geese are lined up. You've got to make sure you're all flying in the same direction. If you're a football team, you can't have one player, you know, not playing in the same pattern as the rest of the team. You can't have Ronaldo in the team. You've all got to be, you know, playing the same game. So in organisations, you've got to be really tough. You've got to have the balls to lead. Even if you're right or wrong, just lead. I don't believe in leading by delegation. You need to be a leader. You need to set... This is where we want to go. This is the direction we want to go. And then give the team the ability to deliver that direction. So that, that was a really key moment for me. I, got, I was a better leader. We had a really great product. I, 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 we never, ever compromised on the product. 
And we really, as I said before, we really started to monetize that traffic because our product was the street food, right? That was the, that was the, the glue. The food brought them all in, the events brought them all in. But how do we monetize that traffic? We monetize that traffic because we sold them drink. And it was only when we changed from a business, when we were not just a Propco business that we originally were, to being a Propco Opco. We ran the events, we were the landlord to all the food, we certainly didn't do the food, the hardest thing to do. But we started pouring the pints, because everyone needs food for events. And when we, our business went from being a break-even business when we were retail, a million pound EBITDA business when we were doing the food, to eventually a five million pound EBITDA business making four million from Opco, or three and a half million from non-property related business through the beer. We monetized our traffic. We looked at things differently. When every other retail developer just went, I'm a retail developer, that's all I am. We went, no, we're an Opco as well. In the same way that maybe Apple crossed over from hardware to software, I guess. You know, we realized that we're gonna monetize our own traffic. So I, saw, I, I had to do an, an earn out for anyone that ever does an earn out. I strongly discourage doing an earn out for venture with uh, private equity. Anyone that's gonna do private equity, a deal, please make sure you get great advice. We had KPMG. But sometimes small is better, is all I would say, you know. It's not necessarily a big name, it's the best sort of name. But after selling it, the day after I could step down, I stepped down. Why? Because suddenly we went from the fastest growing business that suddenly the decisions I was making was being debated about an endless amount of time and I just didn't have the, the, the patience to do it. And I just said, look, I'd rather step down the CEO amicably and just join us aboard. And I took six months off, played a lot of golf, I love golf, and, and decided to go back to education. So I did a private equity masterclass because I thought, I'd, look, if you can't beat them, join them. I'm gonna learn about private equity. Did a great course with Florin here, who's, who I strongly advise anyone think of taking that course. And then I thought, oh, do you know what? I need more education. And I thought I'll go in the Sloan program, which apparently is the best executive program out there. I left after a week. And the reason why I left was I just, again, just, I knew what I wanted to do. And I, to be honest, I didn't really want to learn from academia. Yeah. I wanted to learn from people that really been out there, got the scars. And I just, I knew what I wanted to do then. And I, I of course, you, 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 you develop your own reasons in life of what your purpose is. So my purpose is obviously to be a better dad, better husband, a better person, better, you know, they're, they're things I did, looked at before. But I also had business uh, goals and they were to give back to the entrepreneurial community and to make a better world than I found it. I had what was described to me very tactfully at London Business School is I had a liquidity event, which in <laughs> South London meant I sold my business for a lot of money and I couldn't spend it all. So I, it was, I wasn't going to be driven by money anymore. You know, I, I'm, I'm not interested in private in yachts and, and private jets. That's so shallow. My mates have got them. They've also got 50 million pound divorces. My, I'm, I'm just, I've got enough. 
I think Joseph Heller said that, I've got enough. And so what I'm driven now is to give back to the entrepreneurial community. That's why I'm here tonight for nothing, you know, because I, I like this. I want to teach, I want to give back. I want you to learn from the, the mistakes I made, but I also want to make a better society. And I, I think there's a great proverb, isn't it? If, if you, you know, don't give a man a fish, give him a fishing pole and teach him to fish for the rest of their life. So what I've decided to do is set up a, a VC fund, which is focused on UK startups in the ESG field. Because if we don't make a better world, we won't exist. And I believe not only is it good for society, obviously, but it's also good for business. And that's how I'm going to give back. I'm going to give back and I'm going to not just do it. It's not going to be just ESG in name. It's also going to be ESG in ethics. Because too many private equity companies and VCs, and I've been on receiving end of it, take advantage of entrepreneurs. They have things like three times liquidity preferences, which basically, you know, make sure that the entrepreneur is never in a position to actually make money. So I want to deal with people transparently. Too many VCs and private equities are run by finances. More than 90% of them are run by finances. And we're not. We're a fund set up by entrepreneurs, funded by entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs. We don't believe in unicorns. It's just like business school talk. You know, don't, you know, this sort of Ponzi scheme of unicorns and Series A and Series B and Series Cs, they're all over. You know, SVB has put an end to all of that. I, we believe in zebras, companies that not only want to be pro profitable, but want to be, create a better society. We don't, we're not looking for 20x returns. We're looking for businesses that want to become profitable. We're looking for businesses that we can make a difference because I'm yet to meet a single entrepreneur that has all the answers when you're a startup. And that's why I love seeing older guys on boards because we have the wounds. We've been through it all. And I encourage all young entrepreneurs, surround yourself with guys that have been there and done it and got the t-shirt. Because it only takes one mistake and you're over. Yeah. That's the world we live in now. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to learn that on a spreadsheet. Thanks everyone for listening. You've been listening to Entrepreneurship Now, brought to you by the editorial team at Think at London Business School. Follow us here for more episodes or find us on iTunes or Spotify. For more faculty research insights, go to london.edu forward slash think. You can also sign up there for our free regular email newsletter to get updates on our latest publications direct to your inbox. And finally, please don't forget to leave us a review or rating, which helps new listeners find us. <laughs>